Well, you all have been, I mean, you know better than I, that you've been working through the fruits of the Spirit. Great, great stuff. Um, and Bob has given me the word kindness, for which I'm really grateful. Um, they're all good words, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. They're all really good words. Patience, though, is harder to preach on because it usually means something bad is going to happen in your life if you really want patience. That's usually how God brings it sometimes. It's just difficulties and hardships. I mean, you've probably heard the phrase, don't ever pray for patience because uh, you just don't know how the Lord will bring that. But it really is a gift of the Spirit, and it's a good thing, and it's an important and necessary thing today. Love, joy, peace. Who doesn't want peace? These are all beautiful things. But kindness, this is in some ways one of the best words. And, and arguably you could go down the line and say they're all the best words, but kindness is arguably one of the best words in this whole pile of, of the, the words. So listen to the word of God. This is just from verse 22 of, of Galatians 5, and it, it says these words, and you've heard them, I'm sure, through this last couple of weeks. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience or endurance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these, there is no law. So when we think about this and the fruit of the Spirit, the first thing to import, uh, that's important to understand, that, that sets the whole stage for it, and again, I'm sure with, with how you are in this church and your love for scriptures and, and knowledge of them, you already know this, you get this, but when we read fruit of the Spirit, it, it's very important to understand that this is indeed fruit of the Spirit. A lot of times in sermons, and I've made this mistake too many times, that we turn a sermon into something that says, you're not doing it well enough, you're not doing it right enough, you're not doing it good enough, and you need to be better, you need to do this just stronger, more faithful, whatever it might be. And a lot of times we walk out of church feeling more burdened than we feel released. We feel like what the gospel is about is is you just got to do more. Frankly, you're just not good enough. You're not pleasing enough to God. You're, You're not kind enough. You're not faithful enough, all the different not-enoughs. And we find churches, it's real easy to, to be filled with this mindset because it's easy to preach on stuff like that. And it can come from a generous heart in one sense, to be honest, because there, there is a desire from people like us who really want the best. We want people to be set free from the junk and set free from the problems and, and dive into the wonders. But, but what we want most of all is for you to walk out of here not burdened, but lighter, not, not sensing that if you don't do something or be something or act some way, that this wondrous gospel gift that God has for you is, is beyond your grasp. It's beyond any hope of, of knowing in any real depth. In my experience in 40-plus years of being a pastor, I think that people, all people, struggle with this issue. Does God really love me? Does he really care for me? I mean, I know he loves Billy Graham, and I know Mother Teresa. I mean, who wouldn't love Mother Teresa? And there's even some bad people that he's done miracles for and done some beautiful things. He clearly loves it, but does he love me? In my experience of being a pastor with the, the hundreds of people that have come into my office through all the years, is people you would never believe felt that way or held that question come in and say, my prayer life is nowhere. Does God even care? My marriage is falling apart. Does he, does he even care? 
I'm trying to get my life together and I quit this addiction, but, but does he even help? And so the last thing you need to hear from me is you need to do more or be better or, or do good because you're not doing enough. What this is about, what this whole story is about, is fruit of the Spirit. That means it's stuff that God is doing in you. Instantly, that means that there is a release. That's what the whole gospel is about, isn't it? It's not about us doing something. This is the theme of Galatians. There's this battle between law and grace. And we don't really have time this morning to go into all that. But basically what you have is Paul in a, in a debate with these people that are bringing in a wrong message and say, you want to be right with God? You have to follow the rules. And if you don't follow the rules and you don't do them, then God's not going to be pleased with you. He's not going to bless you. He's not going to work with you. You need to follow the rules. That's what Paul calls the law. But he makes it really clear in Galatians. He said, if you're going to get to God that way, and you're going to please him by doing all this right stuff, the only way you're going to please him is you've got to do it all. If you miss one, you're out. You're sinful. You're broken. And what Paul is coming into with Galatians, he's saying, you've got to understand, church at Galatia, you've you got to understand that that's not how it works in the Christian faith. It is not about you doing it all. It's about Jesus doing it all. That on the cross, Jesus did it all. Every sin that you've ever committed, every sin of the world was paid for. He did it all. And then he gave himself in this crazy, wondrous, loving way to us. He gave himself to us and made the restoration, rebirth of your life into something beautiful his own mission. The transformation of your life is something he has put on his own shoulders. He has not put it on your shoulders. He's tried to lift it off your shoulders and say, you can't do it on your own. You can't do it without me, but I am here. And the giving of the Spirit is the way above all for us as Christians in this time and space is what God uses. It is God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He climbs into our hearts and into our lives and starts transforming us. And he makes us into something different. So the fruits of the Spirit are not about something we do. They're about what God is doing in us, the transformation he is working inside of us. And the reason for this is that's vitally important, and it makes a lot of sense when you see the big picture, is that our problem is not just the things that we do. We, we lie or cheat, and there's this ugly list. You know, in my Bible, it's right down here, this ugly list of all these sins. You know, idolatry and sexual immorality and drunkenness and this, this ugly list that are, that are no fun. They're never fun to read. A friend of mine, a scholar friend of mine, looked at all those lists, the, the list of vices and the list of virtues in the New Testament, and there's about 250 different vices that are listed. Idolatry, drunkenness, adultery, strife, envy, you know, on they go. 250, about 75 virtues that are listed, intriguingly. But 250 things. But the point of this is that it's, it's not about just changing a few of those behaviors. It's, it's bigger than New Year's resolutions. It's bigger than just making a couple changes in your life so you're nicer or more kind or more at peace. It's about a transformation of our very character. See, in all this, God is not at work to change just a few behaviors. He's changing our very character, our very nature of who we are, and transforming us into something new, something of, of a different kind of character and quality 
And it's important that this happens because you know Jesus taught this. Paul picked up on it. It's all through the, through the Bible that, that the way that we act, the way that we live our lives, comes out of what we are on the inside. We can mask it, can't we? We can bury it. We can all be nice, even though we're not necessarily that. We can all fake it for a little while. But ultimately, the real us comes out. The real us, it it comes out of what our character is on the inside. And so what Jesus wants to do is transform our character so that what comes out of us is something radically different. We're all sick to death of viruses, and nobody wants to hear about viruses. But in a sense, this is like a a, a virus, uh, this poison inside of us, this, this sin nature, this brokenness. And it's, you can think of it like a, a, ch- a chicken pox sort of thing. And as chicken pox comes and you get the little sores, I remember when our girls got it, it was the same Sunday that a huge tree fell through our house and smashed our house apart. Um, and the, Linda stayed home with the girls that weekend and, I, and went up to the church. And um, one of our daughters had chicken pox, the other was inevitable. Uh, and while I was at the church, some people came in running and said, you've got to get home. A tree went through your house, and yeah, it was a, that's a long story. But anyway, there's chicken pox. And, and the crazy thing about chicken pox is if you think that you can solve it by just taking care of the blisters, the sores, it, it won't ever work, will it? Because the sores are not the problem. What's on the outside is not the problem. It's the virus down inside that's just causing those. And that's what it is with us. And what God wants to do is put to death that virus in us. The virus of sinfulness, brokenness, disenfranchisement with God, our broken relationship with God. He wants to put that to death and transform us into something new. And that's what the work of the Spirit is. He's transforming us into people who, out of our very natures, we are loving. We're more loving than we used to. It's how we naturally start to be. We're more peace-filled. We just find that we become that way a work of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is He transforms us into a different kind of people. And He makes us into something that's beautiful, something that's new, something that's transformed. And so when you think about this, the ultimate work that God is doing in all of our lives is the transformation of our character and making us into a new people so that what we live out in this lives are not just behaviors that we changed under our own power and ability, but we're actually transformed beings reflecting the future kingdom of God. That Jesus is really the model of this. And that the person of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes inside of us and starts shaping us like clay into his image. So that it's not just love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these good things in some human sense, but actually the peace of Jesus in our lives. That Jesus has come into our lives and transformed us. And we learn from this what it's like. We, we learn what God is doing, what, he, what it looks like, by looking at this word, kindness, and how it appears in different places in the Bible. It occurs six times, the Greek word, Christotitos. The Greek word occurs eight times in the New Testament. Five of those eight times refer to God what he is doing. Not what we're doing or what we're, we're supposed to do, but what he is doing. And the next time it occurs, it occurs here in Galatians, uh, verse 22. The next time is just three pages later in my Bible, and it's in Ephesians, chapter 2. 
And he says this, and it, this, is, this won't match any of your translations, so just um, flow along with me here. As I, I, this is Greek, so I'm just going to translate it as we fly along. Um, but God, who is rich in mercy, uh, being rich in mercy through the great love by which he has loved us, and we, being dead in our transgressions, were made alive together with Christ. For it is by grace that you have been saved. And we were raised together with him and seated together with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that it might be shown in the age that is coming the surpassing riches of his grace bestowed upon us in kindness. There's the same word that's used. The riches of his grace bestowed upon us in kindness. And notice where it's all anchored. It's in Jesus. We were put to death in him. We were made alive in him. In him is our death. We were raised with him. We were seated in a new place in him that God might show the riches of his glory and the riches of his mercy to us in kindness. So this gives us a hint of what does kindness look like? Well, it looks like God coming to his enemies, to those who have rebelled against him, to those who actually have no interest in him, he comes to them and makes them into something new. He gives them new life. He transforms them. He pays their debt. He makes everything new. This is what kindness looks like when it comes from God. It comes to the broken, to the hopeless. And it's a word from God that says it doesn't matter how far you have fallen. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how hopeless or helpless you feel. There is a God who will do the work for you. That in fact, it is his delight to take your cause upon his own shoulders and to bring transformation in your life. And it doesn't matter how far you've fallen or how broken you've been or what lies in your past, there is nothing in your past that he can't overcome. There is no person in this world that he can't raise back to life and give a new future and in whom his spirit can't come and start transforming people. I have somebody I'm working with right now who's been struggling with, with alcoholism for about 50 years. He's 61. He entered a treatment center about two weeks ago uh, in a very bad state and detoxed. There's a small group of four of us that are working with him, trying to help him. Came out of the detox thing after two weeks there and, and came out and he said, I, I am committed to making it work this time. And I need help. And we, the four of us said, we will be here. We will walk with you. We will help you. And a little later, one of the group drove him down to the treatment center where he's at for he'll be more long term. And, uh, and he texted us and said, this guy doesn't want any communication for a while. He needs time. He needs space. He just wants to be left alone. And we all said, no problem. You tell us what you need. We are here to support you. We are here to love you. No problem. But, but instantly, he started texting us, ongoing, relentless texts of what's going on in this treatment center and how much he likes it and the guys, the roommates, and how it's working, and he's really trying to make it go. And he's gone to AA three times today, and it's really been helpful. And he sends us quotes from AA and says this is really good stuff. And it's, so he's been communicating, and it, he, he then expressed what he meant. He said, I heard you guys were told to not communicate with me. And he said, that's, that's not what I want. 
what I meant was, he said, I talked to several people before coming in, his ex-wife for one. And she says, well, I'm, finally, I'm glad you're finally going in because you've done nothing but destroy lives around you. Your kids hate you, I hate you, everybody hates you, and you better make this work. He went to somebody else who said exactly the same thing. He went to somebody else who said essentially the same thing. And so he told the four of us, this is what I meant. He said, I need encouragement. I, I don't need another person telling me how bad I am and how broken I am or how worthless I am. He said, I'm already really aware of it. Two nights ago, he wrote the four of us, sent a text to us, and he said, one of the things I'm having to do is do a personal inventory of my life. And he said, we have to make a column, two-column sheet of paper, and on the left put everything that's wrong with our lives, the mistakes we've made and where we've blown it and the pain that we've called, caused, and on the right side, the good that we are, who we are. And he said, I, I filled the whole column on the left side without any trouble. And he said, I sat down and I couldn't think of a single thing to write on the right side. And he said, I spent the whole evening crying. And I'm 61 years old, and I can't think of a single good thing in my life that I've caused or brought or given. He is a wounded person. And what he needs, and thank God there is a God who looks at these kind of people, us, and says, I want you whole. Brokenness is not my plan for your life. And he comes and does the work. That's the central first rule of AA, isn't it? That this addiction that you're in is beyond all ability you have to control it. And you have to give it, in that vague sense of AA, to a higher power. And for us, we know who that higher power is. And he goes by the name of Jesus. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And there is no addiction and there's no brokenness and there's no sin that he can't overcome. There's no wrong in this world he can't forgive. There's no power that can overcome his willingness and desire to make our lives whole. And so what he does is he comes in and starts transforming us and he gives us the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit start to become elements of our lives. They become characteristics of who we are because what he does is come into our very natures and starts changing us from the inside out. And he makes us into a new person. Behold, all things are new, Jesus said. All things are made new. And one day we'll find the full fulfillment of that as Revelation describes and the end of all things comes about and we see Jesus face to face and all things are truly made new. But in this time and space, it's begun. It's unfolding in life after life, person after person who says, yes, Lord, I want you to transform me. But if it is God's work, if it's a fruit of the Spirit and he does it all, then do we do nothing? I mean, the danger on the flip side is if one might be those preaching beat you up by saying you need to do more, 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 more. The other side is, well, you don't have to do anything. And that would be just as wrong. So what do we do? If God does it all, and it's not about us being successful in this, what do we do when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit and being kind, for example? Well, it really comes down to just two simple things. Water and weed. Water and weed. You weed by getting rid of the, the things that are in, in this list, the 250 vices, and just doing your best to say, I don't want to live that way anymore. But recognizing that we don't have the power to just stop addictions, we don't have the, the power to just stop anger, bitterness, the stuff that lies deep inside of us. So what it means when we weed is say, Jesus, would you take care of this? It means being real honest in confession. 
laying it before the Lord and saying, I am truly sorry for this. I, I hate this thing in me, and I, I, I need your help. You know, the Christian life, this is vitally important to understand, the Christian life never ceases being surrender. I became a Christian in the mountains of Colorado at a Young Life camp in 1975. And I gave my life to Jesus. I surrendered to him. But I've learned that it's an ongoing process. That, that the reality is it's, it's not just it needs to be done every year or every month or, or even every morning, but every moment just say, Jesus, I surrender. How do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? And, and when it comes to this sinfulness, this, this brokenness, this recognition that there's a broken character inside of me, a virus that's trying to make ugly things come out, that it's a relentless saying, Father, forgive me. Lord Jesus, bring your healing power. Sweet spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me and transform me into something new and make me into something different. Weed out the junk in me, Lord, and to hand it to him. One of the ways that weeding works really well is whether it's in your actual garden or yard or spiritually in a metaphoric sense is to have someone help you like the four of us coming around this one person and him promising that this time, he said, I'm going to be totally honest with you. And after years of lies to all of us, he said, I'm going to be totally honest with you. And there's something about weeding that when you have a brother or a sister that you can just say, I, let's pray together and I want you to hold me accountable. I want, to be, I want to be right with God. And to do this together with someone is a priceless thing. Weeding is vitally important to weed out the stuff. And we need to do it. Because even though we have, been, we, we have died with Christ, you know, the Romans talks about having died with Christ in, in the waters of baptism. We went down. We died with him. But Luther has a great line. He says, I, I tried to kill the old man in the waters of baptism, but I found that rascal can swim. <laughs> and there's that side of us that just keeps wanting to come out. And what we need to do is continually just say, I surrender, Lord. I surrender. To you, Lord Jesus, I surrender. Take my life and let it be consecrated this day to thee to give it to him and, and weed out, giving him permission to weed out the junk and fill us with the good, the virtues. But it's also watering. And the first place I would turn to water is to Jesus himself because he's the one that does it all. And He's the one that began it. He's the one that willed it. He's the one that started it in your life. He's the one that's bringing it to completion to come to him. Jesus said, didn't he remember John 4, the woman at the well? And he said, would you give me a drink? And she said, you don't have anything to draw with, and this well is deep. And he said, if you knew who was speaking to you and who asked you for a drink, you would ask him for living water, and he would, or water, and he'd ask you, he, you would ask him for a drink, and he would give you springs of water living water she says give me that water i don't have to won't have to come and draw here and, and and he is talking about something radically different living water a spiritual stream that makes us whole and so when we talk about watering it means a simple rule of the christian life you cannot be too focused upon jesus you cannot be too enthralled with him you cannot be too dependent upon him you cannot spend too much time with him. You cannot have too much interest in him. You cannot allow him to have too much of your life. You cannot have too much of Jesus. 
Indeed, the opposite is true. The more of him you have, the better everything starts to be. That the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of his Spirit. The very Spirit that led him through the, through the hole, through the wilderness. Remember it said in the beginning of the Gospels that the Spirit led him out into the wilderness where he's tested. The Spirit that guarded him in that time. The Spirit that walked with him through the whole of his ministry is the Spirit of Jesus that he gives to us. So that love, and joy, and peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, endurance, it, it remains a gift that he gives us. And by surrendering him, things begin to change. And lives begin to change. Our lives begin to take on a completely different look. And we yield to what the Spirit is doing to magnify Jesus in us. Brittany's last song, before I came up, was, was priceless uh, in, in a beautiful word. And it speaks exactly. She was absolutely right that it does speak to what we're talking about. That it's the Spirit coming into our lives and saying, I want to shape you more and more into the image of Jesus. I want to be to you what I was to him. I want to lead you as I led him. I want to empower you and heal you and transform you and take all that that virus is doing in your life and put it to death and make you into a new creation. Walk with me. Walk with me and watch the fruit that comes out. Yield your life to this living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and watch the fruit and the transformation. And there's no limit to how far this could go. You know, there, the scriptures place no limit on how far the Holy Spirit can go to glorify Jesus and expand his kingdom. And he loves to do it through us. For some crazy reason, he loves to climb in us and transform us and make us into completely different people. And we just learn to surrender and trust and step out boldly where he leads. How do you know what the Spirit's doing or where he's leading us? My experience is if he's leading you somewhere strange, it's probably him. If it's something you would never have done, it's probably him. And to boldly step out and say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to try and, and follow you. And, and when you ask God to, to manifest these fruits in your life and to use you, to let his spirit guide you, wild things start happening. Ask him when you're at the airport, when you're driving around, to keep your eyes open for people who are hurting and broken, who need your kind word, a word of kindness. I was walking, coming home from, and in the LAX airport, walking towards the curb to get the shuttle to the car. And there was a young woman, about my daughter's age, walking down that long hallway towards the luggage carousels. And she was just crying and crying. And I walked behind her a little bit and thought, what do I do? What do I do? I'm an introvert. I don't, I don't reach out to people. Um, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, and, and I walked behind her, but she just cried the whole way, and I came up and I said, are you all right? And she said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And just kind of, and so I stepped back a little bit and kept walking behind her, and I walked up to her again, I said, I'm a dad, and I have two daughters about your age, and if one of them was walking through an airport crying, I would sure want to know someone came up and made sure she was all right. And she stopped and looked at me, and she says, well, Thanks. She said, that means a lot. She said, I'm okay. I just have been home for the holidays, and I just left home, and I'm coming back to college, and I was with my mom and my dad and my sister, and I'm crying because I missed them. It wasn't catastrophic, but it was just, there's people out there who are hurting. They're lonely. They're crying. And we're the ones that can make a difference. Those of us who've been given the fruit of the Spirit, new life in Jesus, that we can go out and show the very kindness he's given to us. 
the very kindness that he's lavished upon us and the riches of his grace and mercy. And, and so to be tender to that prompting and what he wants for us. When we lived in London one morning, Saturday morning, I got up real early, still do, and have my prayer life. So does, so does Linda, and we get up very early, and, and we lived in this great place, um, all overseas postgraduate students. And there was a good friend who was Muslim across the courtyard, and he asked me one morning, he says, how come your light is always on at 5 in the morning? I said, because I'm praying for you, Khalid. <laughs> and, and, uh, and we had some rigorous theological debates, but... In time, his wife early on, she, she couldn't go out without a husband or another woman as, as a very conservative Muslim. So she came with Linda, and Linda would take her out and do things. Uh, and, and Khalid would come to me and say, I have a big exam coming up. Would you pray for me? When we show kindness to people, it opens doors that we, we could never open by telling people to just be better or be nicer or be kinder. You know, there's that great verse in Romans 2 where this same word, Christetatos, is used, kindness, where Paul says, don't you know that the kindness of God is meant to lead us to re repentance? And God's gracious, like, I know you're hurting. To this person who's alcohol, I know you're hurting, and I love you, and I care for you. It's kindness that woos people into but somehow we've gotten into the mindset of the Christian faith and too often in churches that we think that it's beating people up and telling how evil and wrong and lost and broken that they are that will change them. But it is very rare that messages like that transform a person. What changes lives is kindness. Calvin, and I'm Presbyterian, so I have to bring up Calvin <laughs> at least once. And Calvin says that there is no greater thing in the eyes of God than kindness given. That is a huge claim. I, I mean, it's so huge, I have to think about it. Really, nothing better in the eyes of God? And even if there was something better or something, I'm not sure, but it does raise kindness to an uncommon level, doesn't it? There's nothing better, Calvin says, in the eyes of God than giving kindness to another. There's nothing more life-transforming to another than the kindness that we give them, especially where it's undeserved, unwarranted. There's nothing more powerful than kindness bestowed. And there's nothing at the end of the day that we will probably be remembered for more than our love and our kindness at the end of our lives. The, the people that are gathered to remember us at a memorial will probably remember the kindness and love that we gave more than anything that we accomplished. Any work that we've done, how we've done this or that, it's how we loved and how we bestowed kindness. That these are the things that make the world look different. And this is what the Holy Spirit is working in you. Let's pray.